All right. So, been talking through what is the church, the ordinances of the church. Last week we spent a good amount of time on the question of the Lord's Day. Today, missions and finances. So, let's read the statement on missions and then we can discuss it further. We believe that the command to give the gospel to the whole world is clear and unmistakable and that this commission was given to the church. No distinction is made in the scripture between home and foreign missions as we have them today, so it is our duty to be a missionary church and to have a part in sending the gospel throughout the entire world. All right. Yes. Uh, missions on the back. Which, uh, I wonder if... Oh, you know what happened? You may have one of the ones that was... Uh, there's a couple... I thought I threw away all the ones that were like that. I've got some more out here. I called them and they said that the RBP was backordered. We should have it this week. I'm sorry. But that's why well, I just found what it. what I did was I went to my old pre-primary one yeah. and I found a picture I can use. Okay. All right. We'll have it for next week. All right. So who needs one that has... Did you get one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there were some that I copied the wrong way that I... I fixed. I don't know if. And if any of you need the current versus proposed order page, that's on these that are. Okay, that's on these that are stapled up at the front here. So. Okay, so everyone has the Lord's Day missions and finances now. Okay. All right. So. Let's think through. I think the question I asked you at the end of last time was, what is missions? Does mission involve, missions involve uh, medical care for people in other countries? Does it involve uh, clean water? Does it involve uh, orphanages? Uh, does it involve starting churches? Does it involve all those things? Some of those things, none of those things. So that, let's start out with that question. Okay, good. Okay. Right. So here's how I think a lot of people today look at it. They look at it as... Um, They look at all of these things as sort of on the same level in terms of, if we had to say, what is missions? Let's say all of these things are kind of on the same level. I'm not saying in our church, I'm just saying generally, this is sort of the perspective that's, that's prevalent today. The issue with that in light of what, what Paul said is, and... Um, Turn to Matthew 28, which it surprises me that this isn't... I was trying to remember if it was under the church. It is under the church. I, I would think it would definitely be in this paragraph on missions, but 
Maybe since it was already in the one on the church, it was not included. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Sometimes, uh, actually, the reference that we have under the church is just 19 and 20, but I think 18 is important as well. Jesus came up and spoke to them, Matthew 28, 18, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, the, the, the basis of it is the authority of Christ in verse 18, and the strength for it is Christ's presence at the end of verse 20, and then the task is in verses 19 and 20. And essentially it is, make disciples is the command, going to make disciples, baptizing and teaching. So those three modify the making disciples. So, uh, in light of that, when I was, uh, I don't know, 9 or 10, I read a book by a fellow who was over served over in Bangladesh, doing a kind of medical mission. It's called Doctar. I don't know if you guys have read that. It's, uh, it's an interesting book, but essentially the, the book was primarily about him working to provide medical care for people in Bangladesh, which would be this. And while that's not a bad thing to do, um, let's say that somebody said, they came to our church. They said, I'm a doctor, and I want to go to, whatever, let's say Zambia. They said, I'm a doctor, and I want to go to Zambia, and I'm going to start a hospital there, and it's going to be a Christian hospital, and I want you guys to support me as a missionary. So that's my question. Would we take somebody like that on as a missionary? Why or why not? Assuming that we had the money to do it. Okay. 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 Anything else? So we've got a couple of issues here. First of all, what is missions? Second of all is who does overseas? When I say overseas, like watches over, not where is it happening, like not with an A. Um, Continuing on this, so the question is, if this is the only thing that somebody is doing, it's hard to see that as mission specifically. Along those lines, let's say that you have somebody who says that I want to go and work in Germany. And while I work in Germany, I'm going to tell people the gospel. Is that missions? Okay. It, 
Okay. Should we, I guess the way I should, I would put it is, should we support that person as a full-time missionary? No. Because essentially what they're doing would be like, if I said, okay, Jonathan, okay, Bob, okay, Paul, you guys all work at your jobs and you're also doing a Bible study or giving the gospel to your coworkers. That's just kind of like something that everybody's supposed to do in the church, right? And so that doesn't really rise to the level of missions per se. What about something like uh, providing clean water? Is that a good thing? Sure. Um, what's that? Yeah, it's a great thing. Uh, we take it for granted every day, so that's uh, that's a great thing. I mean, even in some places in Michigan, that's an issue. So, but is giving a group of people clean water of the same level of importance as giving those people the gospel message with a goal to see it and add it to a church? No. And so that's the challenge. I think a lot of times people say, let's call anything missions that touches in any way on the subject of the gospel. And if we look at Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it is make disciples. Now, how do we make disciples? We have certainly the opportunity to make disciples in the context of something like this or this or this. But this is what missions actually is. And as far as the distinction between missions at home and missions in a foreign place, like the Statement of Faith currently makes that distinction, what's your sense of that? Is that a distinction that people commonly make today? Or I know it was a distinction that was made in the 50s, 60s, 70s. I don't know that that's a distinction that's commonly made in people's minds today. What do you guys think? Is okay. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, let me let me clarify my question though. Specifically, so if we move from this and say that it is starting churches, does the uh, if we could say at the geography of home versus foreign, is that a valid distinction? Is that something that we would need to specify in a statement of faith? This touches on this idea here, which is indigenous is basically like the people that grew up in a particular place. So that gets into the question of culture and all that sort of thing. So somebody in Germany is going to have a slightly different perspective on the world than someone in China, than someone in 
Tanzania, then someone in Michigan, honestly, then someone in Texas. Um, so, with regards to this question, I think one of the issues, one of the reasons that it's important to, at least in our minds, make the correction that the paragraph makes as far as that there's not this vast difference between home and foreign missions is because sometimes we think, well, we're at home, we're in the U.S., so if we support someone in the U.S., it's just like we're all Americans, right? But the reality is there's different cultures and dialects, not languages typically, but different cultures and dialects and all those sorts of things so that someone going from here out east, down south, out west, there's different cultures even in our own nation. And so it's not really a question of um, are there going to be differences, it's the, the number of differences. Like to go from here to say Georgia, I had family down in Georgia. Um, it might sound like occasionally people are talking a little bit different, but they're really just talking English. And so there's, at, at that basic level, there's a, a similarity in communication. So that's not a hurdle someone has to overcome. But one of the hurdles that does have to be overcome is things like, this fellow's a good old boy, so he's going to heaven. Or, I go to church, so I'm going to heaven. Or whatever. There are people that are very nice people who go to church, and they're not Christians because there's never actually been any true conversion. It's just a family thing. It's just a what you're supposed to do kind of a thing. And so someone going to that context, I mean, it's not 100% like that up here, but up here people are a lot more frank about telling you, yeah, I don't go to church, I don't want to, you don't, have, don't bug me about it. Whereas there, there's a degree of politeness where even if somebody doesn't really want to talk to you, they'll give you the time of day because that's just a cultural thing. Uh, and it varies from place to place. All that to say, missions is church planting, I think, is what we'd have to say. And then, missions is church planting with the recognition that not just geography, but also in terms of culture, that there are differences that have to be dealt with, uh, worked through, thought about to have an effective strategy for reaching people in a particular place, which then leads to this question, which is, for a decent period of time, our strategy to missions in the church. Let me back up. Historically, you have the early church and the gospel spread throughout the known world. And then Roman Catholicism came on the scene and between the fall of the Roman Empire and the stranglehold the Catholic Church had on religious practice in the Western Hemisphere, um, I don't think that there was a whole lot in the way of missions biblically defined that was going on. Then you have the Middle Ages, and there's very little, if any, emphasis on the gospel for four or five hundred years. And then you come into, um, even longer than that, you come into the time of the Reformation, and there's a recovery of an, even an idea of what is the gospel. And then out of that, you still have a decent stretch of time before you have a strong emphasis on missions. You come into... Uh, uh, the early years of our um, nation, you have state churches, you have all that sort of thing. Uh, it's not until really in the 1800s there's finally this renewed emphasis and people asking the question of what does Matthew 28, 18 to 20 have to do with us? And you have people saying, all right, God wants us to go take the gospel to other places. 
So there was a degree to which evangelism was happening through the various awakenings in our own country's history. But in terms of taking the gospel to other places, uh, that was a, a strange concept to people. It's sort of this attitude of, if God wants that to happen, he'll make it happen, and we don't have to do anything about it. And you had people like uh, William Carey, Adoniram Judson, um, even the pastor, there's a pastor whose name escapes me, but he had a really long title of this talk or that ended up being a book that he wrote, Andrew Fuller. Um, it's called something like The Gospel Worthy of All Acceptations, something along those lines. And the idea was basically people need to take the gospel. So we started taking the gospel and people were sent out from America, from England, Scotland, places like that to other countries around the world. More recently, there's been a discussion of this question of to what degree are we supposed to, instead of just sending people from here over there, to what degree are we supposed to have the goal of seeing people in those countries starting their own churches? Which I think is an important question to ask. Some of it, I think, is a backlash against the perception of colonialism, like we are bringing our culture in and imposing it on them. Some of it is just simply the question of, practically speaking, we can't send enough people to every other place in the world that needs the gospel to, for the work to get done. Think about what Paul says in 2 Timothy um, 2, 2. He says, commit to faithful men that they will be able to teach others also. So the things that you've heard from me, commit to faithful men so that they can teach others also. There is a passing on, and there is, I think, implied a multiplication of ministry that's supposed to be taking place in the church. And so if we put all of these ideas together, um, before we put all those ideas together, what about mission boards, churches, groups of churches? Who's supposed to send missionaries out? Okay, the local church. Okay. Okay. Do you need a mission board? Okay, that, and that's an important point. Uh, look, if you look through the, I won't direct you to specific passages for sake of time, but if you look through the book of Acts, you have a local church, and actually the next chapter or so that we get into in Acts, uh, the local church sends out Paul and Barnabas. Sends them out, and uh, they are supposed to go and take the gospel to the Gentiles, and they're specifically sent to the church. Now, this was at the direction of the Holy Spirit that he sends them out to uh, do this. Yeah, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work that I have called them. Okay, and this was at the church at Antioch. So, that's the first official missionary work that we see. Um, why do we have mission boards today? Okay, training is one thing. What else? Handle money. Okay, what else? Okay. 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 So, in terms of Acts, this is who's supposed to send... Uh, missionaries out. I think that there is certainly a precedent 
for cooperation between groups of churches and various efforts connected with missions. For example, um, Paul was an apostle, so it's a, it's a little bit distinct what he was doing versus what we have going on today. But uh, just got done talking with the eighth graders in Bible class about what Paul talks about in Romans 15 about his desire to go to the church at Rome and that the church of Rome would sort of help him on his way to go start a church in Spain. And so there's a sense in which Paul had been supported by churches uh, in Macedonia and Achaia and then that was going to get him to the church in Rome and then they were going to get him to go start a new work in Spain and so in terms of actual support for missionaries, there's a precedent for potentially uh, a missionary being supported not just by one church, but by a group of churches. And there were times when Paul didn't, he gave up that opportunity to be supported in those ways, and he said, you know what, I'm just going to work on my own. So there's also a precedent for someone saying, you know what, maybe I worked at, uh, you know, GM or an investing firm or for a particular city for a particular part of time and I said okay I've done all this and now and I know this has changed dramatically in the last 20 or 30 years but there are people who would say you know now I've got a pension I'm going to retire at 55 I'm going to take 10 years and go take the gospel to this other country and I don't need support so I can go right away because I've got this other means of taking care of myself. I don't think that there's anything wrong with those sorts of things. We see precedent for that as well. But if we take all of these things together and we say, what is missions in terms of what our church is supposed to be doing, how would we sort of sum up all of these ideas? What should missions look like for ambassadors? Okay, that raises another good question that we can talk about in a second. Both. Okay. Okay. Good. And so Bob raised a, an important point. In a church, you have the senders, you have those who are sent. We typically think of missions just having to do with this, but we're all involved in missions, right? We're all serving as those who send people out. Um, I think a long-term goal would be as God equips, burdens, uh, works in specific people in our congregation, that we would see people sent out specifically from this local church to other places around the world, or to start other churches in our more immediate geographic area. And that might seem strange to say, we have you know, 30 or 40 people, let's start another church. But I mean, the biblical pattern was that these churches were starting other churches fairly on, fairly early on in their, in their growth, in their history. And so I don't think that we should strictly look at it as a, as a, as a numbers thing and say, well, Unless we get to be 250, we can't start another church. Because I think that there's certainly precedent for different churches starting other churches uh, in history. So, just as a simple example, I don't know how many we could seat in the auditorium. Let's say it's 150. It might be more, it might be less. If, if we said, okay, now we're at 175 and we really have no room at all in the auditorium, there's a couple of possibilities. One is we can say, 
let's raise $5 million and build a new building somewhere else in the city, or a simple solution would be to say, all right, are there clusters of people in our congregation who are both equipped and willing and in close proximity to another place that needs a good church? And would they be willing to go out and start another church in that area? And so um, there was a missionary I was talking to down in Mexico a long time ago when I was visiting with him, and he said that there was, a, uh, at that particular time, the church that he was a part of had gotten up to be three, 400 people, and they just wanted to keep meeting in the same place. They didn't want to... They didn't want to spread out and go start other churches, even though some of them were traveling a really long distance. They just wanted to say, this is our spot, we're comfortable with it, we're just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. I don't think it was a punishment by God on the church in Jerusalem that persecution came and they were scattered. But I do think it was providential in that, to a certain extent, in in a much more spiritual way than the Tower of Babel, it would have been easy for the early church to say, we're comfortable in this spot, we're all in this place, and even though God had said his purpose was for it to spread throughout the whole earth, they would have just said, we're good right here. And so I think long-term, we should always have that on our mind of, are there other opportunities in our immediate region, other opportunities around the world, that we could see the gospel go forward and churches planted? And I think part of this, too, is one of the great benefits of having a heritage connected with with the fundamentals of the faith is that we have a firm desire to hang on to truth and see it defended. One of the great downsides is that sometimes that can turn into a lot of infighting. I think I told you guys this joke. There's a fellow on a desert island and finally rescued after about 10 years, and he's showing his rescuers around all the things that he's built. What's this? That's my house. What's this? That's my workshop. What's this? That's my church. What's that building down the beach a little ways? That's the church I used to go to. Unfortunately, that is also a part of our heritage. And my point with that is to say, it's been encouraging to me to see the cooperation between our churches and others in our area. And so... If we got to a point down the road where we were in a position to help see another church started, I don't think we need to look at it as, you know, we're sending these people out, we're never going to see them again, never going to have any contact, anything like that. I think that there is a possibility for a network of churches in a particular region to be cooperating. Not that they're all going to see exactly eye to eye on everything, but there's enough churches with enough similarities in our region that we could cooperate on seeing the gospel go forward. And then we don't have the problem that commonly happens of somebody coming and saying, there is no gospel preaching church in this city. And what they, by they mean by that is, there's no gospel preaching church that, that checks off the boxes exactly the way that I do, and so we need to raise $100,000 a year so I can start a church, even though there may be two or three good but not identical churches already in a particular place. So we take all of these things together. There are senders. That's all of us right here. There are those who are sent. These are the ones, whether they're in the U.S. or outside the U.S., that we are supporting. The thing that they're supposed to be doing is planting churches. If they, in their particular context, find an opportunity to participate in some of these things, I say this tentatively, I don't think that those are automatically bad things to do, but they are not missions per se. 
They are rather the context or opportunities in which missions takes place. And the danger of so many of these things is it's really popular to do some of these kind of things. I mean, there's all kinds of celebrities that live horrible, wicked lives and feel good about themselves because I gave money to make this happen. And so it's really easy for all of these things to take precedence over this. And so my point would be to say, if we have to pick between all of these things, let's make sure that we're doing this. If we have the opportunity to do some of those things in addition, and they're a fit for our specific community, then we can talk about them. But it would be foolish, for example, um, if, uh, let's say that you were a church and you had three retirement centers within a mile from your church, and you said, all right, you know, we, uh, we have no idea where we can spread the gospel to people, so we're going to build a youth complex for $500,000. Instead of saying, here's people who need Christ, who no one to a certain extent cares about, and they're right next to us, that church should take seriously into consideration as God sovereignly put us in this place to reach some of these people. Which is not to say, you can't have a youth group if you have retirement centers around your church. It's just simply to say, we've got to open our eyes and look around us and see what opportunities God has already given us and take advantage of those. So, all that to bring around to how it fits into our statement of faith. I think, it, I think these basic things, that there are senders, that there are those who are sent, that missions is church planting, I think that should be in the statement of faith. Because then you don't have people coming in and saying that missions is all these other things, or only, only the missionaries have to do missions, or all that sort of stuff. What that looks like specifically in our church, in terms of who we support, and how many we support, and all those sorts of things, that's a second or third level issue, but I think senders sent missions as church planting. I think those are some pretty important things to have in our statement of faith. Any further thoughts along those lines? So based on what we have right now, mm -hmm. what we see would be added I think that the first sentence is good. And I think I would want to see Matthew 28, 18, and 20 to back it up. But if we move the phrase to the, the main thing about what is the church, and, and this is another question. Is this so central to the function of the church that it should be part of the statement on the church? Or is it so important that it de demands its own heading? And I think when you look at Matthew 28, 18, and 20, Missions is closely connected with discipleship. And if we think back to what we were talking about, what is the church supposed to do? Um, evangelism, discipleship, ministry, fellowship, worship. Missions is something that kind of bridges the gap between evangelism and discipleship. So it's kind of a core thing of what the church is doing. Okay. 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 I think that's the question. Is it being sent someplace out there the fact that it 
Yeah. And I think that that's part of the tension that we run into because our, our context in which we come out of these things is that we look at what the local church is doing and what people are doing similar to what the local church is doing as being two distinct things because that's how it's been presented for a number of years. And my point would be to say there's a difference of geography, culture, some of the obstacles are different. But, I mean, I would draw a parallel and this is where I think I think it's good that they have Acts 1.8. I don't think Acts 1.8 is a mandate for the church today in the way that it was required by the early church. It wasn't even really a command to the um, early church. It was a statement of fact. Here's what I'm going to do. But the fact that God spread the gospel in that way, I think gives us insight on how the gospel can potentially spread here. And it was city, region, uh, and then we could just say beyond. And when we think about our church, evangelism and discipleship for our church can take place in at least these two levels. It's the beyond when we start saying we can't be in all those places at once, so we're going to send someone out or support someone who has been sent out. But to your point, Paul, I'm not sure that we can draw a clear line here. see it as two headings like this, not that. Okay. Right. But the thing that I'm trying to get at is what is the difference? I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just trying to get at what... I'll try to fix my spelling here. Okay. Okay. Say that again one more time. I'm still trying to make sure I'm following what you're saying. So, for example, I think, all right, so we, I think the Richmonds are, are the best example. Okay. The Richmonds' primary function is to fill the church, to plant a church in the U.S. Okay. And so 
recording to go and do another church and just do the same thing to replicate it. Whereas for us, our number one function is to support our family. And our secondary function is to spread the gospel. So I think it's, it's where that, what the primary focus is. What about Aquila and Priscilla? I wouldn't call it Why not? They I'm, I'm not. I'm just yeah, trying to talk to them. They had their, I, I would say they had their primary business, and then they were evangelizing and discipling, but they weren't receiving support through that primary. As much as I dislike the way that people use this phrase, some churches will talk about being on mission for God, and there's a whole lot of baggage because of the way that that's used in some places. That being said, here's what I think all churches are supposed to be doing. They're supposed to see people be saved, discipled, and then reproducing. In other words, this is something that keeps happening. And I think what's happened in a lot of places is that a lot of churches say, let's draw a line there. We're good as long as we got the first two. And I'm not saying that that's what you're saying, Paul. I'm just saying, let's think through if this is the perspective that we have, and if so, is that potentially contributing to why we see missions as this other thing off by itself instead of as a continuation of what every church is supposed to be doing. The reason that I, the thing that I mean by that is the church gets started, it starts to get organized, uh, people are being discipled, it reaches a particular point, people are sent out, um, uh, whether that be to um, a particular local or more immediate region or that be to further out like a different nation or so on. When we see the church spreading in the book of Acts, there's just this natural outward progression. And you see different churches um, connected with each other. You see different churches all supporting this work. You see uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas sent out from the church at Antioch. They go around, they start these churches, uh, and then they come back to the church at Antioch. Then they go back and encourage those churches and start some more churches. And then you see those churches apparently sending other people out and starting them because how did the church start in Rome? Paul didn't start it 
And so all these things together, this, this is all taking place. And so again, I'm not saying we have to like land the plane on all these things right this minute. I just am thinking that the way that we have this structured in our statement of faith reflects our understanding of how all of these things fit together. And so it's something that I just want to sort of present all of these ideas and then have another further discussion down the road. Yes? Yes. And said, I think we need to get to a place where we build here and then send out. So he was yeah. along that same thought process. I think maybe the challenge, the, I think the biggest obstacle for the mental one for us in particular. Yeah. If we, if we look at, you know, many of us have been here more than 10 years. Sure. And so we think, we've never seen this church. Uh, I don't want to say healthy at all, but flourish. Right. And so we've never seen what it would look like to be able to do something like that. So I think it's more of a mental obstacle than anything. Right. And I'm not saying that all this is going to happen overnight. But I'm also not saying, I think one of the things that has potentially been an obstacle at different points to seeing some of this take place and I mean this as no disrespect to people who have come before, is that you need some measure of stability to see some of these things carried out. And so, you know, along those lines, Lord willing, my goal would be to help provide some of that stability and to say, how can we think creatively to, to spread the gospel to people so that we see this pattern happening more regularly? Because I think that it's easy for churches sort of get, I mean, it, I want to say this carefully. It's easier for people to migrate from one church to another than it is to see people go through this whole process. And so a lot of churches grow because the sheep have wandered from one field over to another field. And that's not a problem per se. And, and that's fine, but we need to be adding more sheep to the flock too. You know, not just from other churches, but also from outside. And for that to happen, there has to be this commitment of us, of us seeing what we're doing as part of this whole thing, not just like the pastor does that, the missionaries do that. And I'm not saying any of you necessarily have that perspective, but I think the church at large in America, a lot of them are sort of like, let's just show up, let's just do whatever, you know, those sorts of things. And it just sort of happens. But the church is a place for all of us to be doing the work. I'm supposed to be equipping us to do it well, but all of us are supposed to be doing the work. And so uh, that's where part of this tension, too, I think. I think there's a continuum between full-time support and completely supported by the, some other sort of employment that we tend to draw a, a sort of a, a harsher line and be like, well, these people are supposed to be fully devoted to it, and people over here have all these things, so they don't have to be fully devoted to it. And I realize that there's, there's, there's tensions, there's pulls. The more things that you're doing, the more time it takes, all that. It's, it's complicated, but I think all of this together is what we're supposed to be doing as a church. So I just say all that for us to sort of think through it. Yes, Jonathan.
That's, uh, that's certainly a, uh, a possibility. I think expressing in, you know, level two, like we talked about, having level one state the fact that we do believe we are um, helped to this commission to lead others to, to evangelize the disciples, to reproduce, to you know, state that succinctly uh, in the part of the church. And then level two is what does that look like in our church, mm-hmm. and currently, yeah. it does look like we're paying other people to do it, to speak bluntly, um, with the understanding that we should be doing it in our own circles, but also stating the understanding that the goal is to ultimately reach Sure. Uh, one last thing would be, and... Um, do you feel like that we need to discuss the next paragraph in more detail, or do you want me to summarize it briefly? The one on giving, do you feel like that needs to be an extended discussion like the one on missions this morning? Yeah, I feel like we've talked about it to a certain degree, but if you feel like we need to spend a good part of the hour next Sunday talking about it, I'm happy to do that too. Yeah. All right, we'll do this. I will, um, we can at least talk about that some the next time, and then maybe get into sort of a a rehash on some of these other things. Um, Just a real quick thing to go ahead and and, um, tell you where I think we need to go with this. When it says we believe that scriptural giving is one of the fundamentals of the faith, I think it's something that's exemplified in scripture in the early church. I don't think it's a fundamental of the faith in terms of a belief, like if you don't believe that you should give to the church, you're not going to heaven kind of a thing. I do think it's really important to the work of the church because for all this to happen, it takes resources, and so if none of us are willing to contribute those resources, which is more than just money, it's difficult for all this to take place. So we can certainly talk more about that uh, next time, but that'll sort of uh, frame the discussion for us. All right, let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, as we consider these truths from your word, there's a lot for us to take in, there's a lot for us to think about. We pray that we would have a desire, a fervor, a prayer that you would work in our uh, city and through our church, and not just in our city, but in the uh, extended geographic region. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.